Hey everyone, welcome to Quick Takes. It is Thursday, May 12, 2022. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. Uh, Dapper Lab invests in growing an ecosystem and demand for its Flow blockchain. Fair takes the money while the going is good by raising an additional 416 million US dollars. Certain's focus on non-technology companies continues to pay off for them. And for our lightning round, Alan Lau steps down as CEO of Wattpad and Zero Trust results in $100 million for Tailscale. I will now have Alex Norman join me. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, happy. It looks like we've just skipped over spring and summer's here in Canada across I the know. country. And it looks like it was a hot week in tech. Um, there was a lot more art, uh, going on that we could have talked about. So it's tough to choose which ones. I know, I know. Hot weather, hot weekend tech, it's great. Um, why don't we start with the Dapper Labs news? So they're investing and growing an ecosystem um, and the demand for their flow blockchain. So maybe we start with why do companies want to care? or Why should they care about this ecosystem? So I think go back 15 years ago, no one talked about an ecosystem around their core product or platform. And now it's become more and more common about companies saying, hey, we've got an ecosystem around X platform or Y platform. The reason they want to build these ecosystems is it increases adoption, usage, and stickiness of their products. It also allows them to build business models that can capture revenue based on usage. So, you know, the idea here is you build a successful ecosystem, developers build, you know, let's go back to the app, Apple app ecosystem. You know, you get a bunch of developers building a bunch of games, a bunch of tools. So they take that means more audience comes, more people use it. Uh, more more eyeballs, more usage leads more developers on the compounding network effect. And Apple can take a toll on all the usage on it. It's, it's basically ecosystem. So people see how these different ecosystems are built up. They go, we want to build something for our platform. We want to get the users. We want to build network effect. We want to you know increase our market share at the expense of someone else and basically lower churn for both developers and customers. So it's a great idea and concept. And can you remind us what Flow is? So before that, actually, I'll, I'll go to Flow and go to why they want to, you know, what Flow is. But also the other thing with the ecosystems sure. is historically they worked because they were they were sort of boot, you know, they they worked because the core product or platform already had an audience they could share with developers. So if you look at Microsoft, Adobe, and Apple, they already had the audience, and then. Um, you know, they said, okay, we're going to open up this ecosystem. And, and it's, it's, so it's hard to get people to use, to, to bootstrap an ecosystem, get that flywheel going. So let's now go to why, what Flow is and maybe what Dapper is trying to do here. Yeah. Um, Flow is a level one blockchain that Dapper built. So let, let's go back to what a level one blockchain is. Um, you've got like Bitcoin is original, then Ethereum is there. You know, Ethereum is like, you know, the world's you know, on-chain computer. And Dapper launched the first part called CryptoKitties way back when. It was one of the, basically the first NFTs. It was built on Ethereum, and they found it too slow, and the platform it got overwhelmed. So they so you know Dapper said, let's build a quick and a low cost transaction blockchain level one for NFTs. And they launched the Flow blockchain with their NBA Top Shots. Of course, their whole suite of NFTs are on there. You got NFL All Day and UFC Strike. So now you've got this level one blockchain built by uh, Dapper called Flow, and they want it to get mindshare and usage against other level one uh, blockchains, so Ethereum, Solana, and other ones out there. And they so Flow is trying to position their Dapper's trying to position Flow as like the place for NFT transactions. Um, they want to do this because there's an economic incentive. Um, 
for Dapper for getting people to use Flow. Uh, the, the tokens become more valuable. There gets a network effect. Uh, Dapper gets more basically revenues and fees from this. Uh, then, and the interesting thing here, going back to that initial way, how do you seed an ecosystem? The NFL, the initial NFT project on Flow was NBA Top Shops, and it was super successful. It, there's a lot of transactions, and I think what they're trying to do is cement this blockchain's position in the, as a level one before Top Shots uh, reduces in popularity. And how else are they encouraging other companies to be part of this ecosystem? So the news this week was they've created a what's called a, a, a flow fund. I don't know if that's official name. They've, they have 725 million US dollars into it. And I'll get what that money is. Um, that will support uh, projects and companies building uh, to, on flow. And how are they going to do this? This, this 725 million comes from a, a bunch of investors in uh, the Flow network, or, or or I guess Flow tokens, or Dapper Labs, and in particular, they're going to support uh, gaming infrastructure, DeFi content, and creator projects. And it, they're going to be doing it by providing actual cash investments, token grants, and in-kind support. And if you look at this, there is already an ecosystem building this fund that's going to build this ecosystem. Like the investors in this fund are A16Z, Code 2, Union Square Ventures, Greenfield Ventures, and CoinFund. As I previously mentioned, they all they all have an economic incentive to see this work because they either have equity in Dapper Labs or Flow tokens. And in your opinion, do you think this will be successful? I think it's way too early to tell. Um, the main way an ecosystem works is it gets this flywheel going, like I mentioned. And it, it works where you get developers building cool stuff that attracts users, more users attracts more developers, and, and so on and so on, so that you know if one or two products fail, you're not going to lose people. If one or two people leave the ecosystem or users, there's still enough people using it that the developers want to build there. And right now, Flow and or Dapper Labs claims there's 7,000 developers using Flow versus what seems to be thousands for Solana or Polkadot. To me, it's not clear what people are coming or using flow for so until i think we see a couple native not sorry non non dapper labs projects take off it's too early but once you get a few big hits i think you'll see the, the flywheel going but we need to see those non dapper labs hits right and lastly the takeaway for the tech community well i think before you start building on an ecosystem or platform you may want to understand the dynamics around that ecosystem what is the adoption rate How's it growing? Who are the main comp competitors to this? What other ecosystems can you be basically building on? How is this to develop on more than one platform? Are you getting locked into this platform? And what is the economic incentive for the platform? Are, you know, so like now, you know, you, people start building on the Apple, you know, basically app store, and they're now complaining that there's a 30% toll, basically toll on all your revenue. Um, you know, if you're going to build on flow, how's, what's an economic incentive for flow to, make money? Does it, is that going to incentivize for them to promote you? Is it incentivize for them to take too much of your you know, economics? You need to understand that all. Um, for companies building platforms, it is never too early uh, to create an ecosystem strategy. What can you do to incentivize developers to use your platform? Um, how, you know, can you offer distribution or customers to these people? Uh, can, you, can you make it easier to develop on your platform? What type of financial incentives can you provide? So just sort of with all the questions you need to ask, these, we're, as a developer startup, you should be asking about working on a platform. Uh, a company trying to build a platform or ecosystem should be 
asking the same questions and, and basically removing the barriers for adoption. Right. Uh, so all about incentive at the end of the day. Um, it's a great takeaway, Alex. Thank you. I want, before we get into our next headline, I wanted to highlight something cool we're doing at TechTO, um, creating a three comma club podcast series based on this list that we created of um, all these recent um, public and Canadian unicorn companies. So Alex, can you tell us maybe a little bit more about the podcast and the list and just uh, maybe what you're most excited for when this so, launches. So three comma club, which we did in partnership with the TMX highlighted either public or private Canadian technology companies that are worth over a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. We went and took a subset of seven of them. So a few of them are private, a few of them are public. And we're going through basically the journeys with the founders or the leadership of that, uh, of that companies talk about the, what, what the initial inception was or, you know, what happened there, what were challenges about growing, what the future holds. We've got three recorded already, and they'll be released soon. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, I think this is some of the best content we've produced. Um, yep. Actually, one of them is, one of the first ones to be released will be uh, from Marcelo with Fair, which we'll be talking about in a second. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear the unvarnished truth about building a billion-dollar valuation startup, you have to listen to these podcasts. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, They're not easy journeys, and they're all super unique. So I agree. I think it's some of the best content we've put out. Um and yeah, good transition, I guess, into our next headline um, with FAIR, you know, taking the money while the going is good, um, raising an additional 416 million US dollars. So why do they need the additional capital? So, and as you'll hear in our podcast, which we release either later this week or early next week, yep. um, FAIR is expanding rapidly in a few different vectors. One is geographically. So they're, you know, they're, in Europe and growing on different countries on the continent. They recently launched in Australia. They're building more software to make, build an operating system for wholesale. So they're going to larger retailers and larger brands. And all that takes capital. Even if they're at scale, that's great, great unit economics and margins. They're now deploying capital in a way to create bigger ROI and create a bigger moat. So three vectors are scaling on and that needs money. Right. And I know they just raised, was this an extension of the last round? Is this something that's that's new? So yeah, the company announced a 400 million round in November. The valid company at 12.5 billion post all in USD. This is an extension. So if you go back, like if we were doing this in November and this was six months after a raise in, let's say, I guess that would have been May last year, there's probably another higher valuation. Here, it's an, you know, it's an extension of the last round. They raised 196 million from new investors, Sequoia and Y Combinator, both pretty good investors, and 220 million from existing investors, and they increased the post money valuation by 200 million. So, there's a couple reasons for this. One is the market has changed a bit, and B, this is much easier to do. And what does this mean? Well, you know, I, I think this round seems to be optimized for ease and speed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, this round, instead of, you know, if you were to go, go do an up round, let's say we're going to value the company at 16 billion, it takes time, it takes legal, it takes permission for all investors. This is saying, hey, we're going to just increase the size around. It, it's pretty benign to do it. Um, you know, I think in the current, and it, it's a very good sign for FAIR because FAIR is growing really rapidly. And with the public comps down 30 to 70% to raise of, you know, around at the same terms, it, you know, without I, I don't imagine they haven't doubled or tripled since then is, is a very positive sign and it, it, in the current market having a strong balance sheet is a large competitive advantage and fair may have felt like it was good to take the money while it was being offered at similar terms 
And, you know, this is a good vote of confidence by their investors and new outside investors. Sequoia is, is pretty well known. Um, and this will provide them with many strategic options if the market doesn't bounce back soon. Right. Uh, last question, implications specifically for Canadian teams. So cash is always king. You know, you, you probably have heard that watching movies or from investors. But over since COVID started and the government started flooding the world with cash, it got easy to raise money. So people didn't, you know, and they were encouraging you to invest and spend that cash. And it seemed like cash was easy to find. Well, this has rapidly changed. And if you can find cash and strengthen your balance sheet, you should. If the market recovers, you've purchased insurance you didn't need to use, and you can leverage the capital to grow into a higher valuation by getting good ROI on, on how you invest the money. If the market continues to be weak, it will help you navigate choppy markets and can be a huge competitive advantage in recruiting talent because you have a strong balance sheet you can tell people about. Partnering with enterprises, you know, if you're in a bake-off against some other company to get a you know enterprise client, you can, it gives them more confidence that you have X months of runway. And for potentially acquiring competitors, I was just talking to a founder yesterday that said, hey, uh, one of their competitors was about to close a term sheet, got pulled, they didn't have much cash on the balance sheet, they had a significant amount of cash on their balance sheet, so they basically acquired hired a company they would have had to probably pay for a huge premium for six months ago. So cash... You know, having a strong balance sheet is extremely advantageous. And if you can't raise it, I would looking at seeing what can you do to, to, to lower your burn. Right. And thank you, Alex. And if you like hearing about, you know, um, different recruitment, partnership, acquisition opportunities and news like this, uh, you have to check out the TechTO newsletter. Um, great place, again, to, to meet and see lots of opportunities across our, our community and our network find jobs, um, hear about our amazing upcoming events that we have. Uh, Alex, um, I always love to get your opinion, but what have you been um, enjoying about the newsletter so far? What are you looking forward well, to seeing more about? Uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the return of it in real life events in Toronto and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So you'll probably see links to upcoming events, but also summaries yeah. of past events. So we haven't had those in a while for obvious reasons. And it just, I think, the newsletter is awesome, but it's also great to connect it to what happens in the you know the real world, for lack of better terms. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and if you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so at techtio.org slash newsletter on our website. It's also in the link in our bio on across all our social media platforms. Um, okay, on to um, the next headline for today. Certain's focus on non-technology companies uh, continues to pay off for them. So Maybe we start with what is certain and what they what they do. So certain base in Victoria provides near real-time AI-powered background screening solutions for enterprise clients. So what does that mean in English? Again, we're taking out the buzzwords. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's basically if you hire someone for lots of jobs, you want to do a background check. You want to check they don't have a police record. You want to check their employment record. Um, certain does this globally or not globally in many different countries for many different industries really quickly with an in-depth report that takes minutes not days and there is a u.s unicorn that does something similar um maybe you can explain the difference or yes. if it's entirely the same so yeah so like look there's a, the, one of the first companies in the space was a company called checker in the states they do background checks they offer it via api they've raised about you know 680 million usd to date so really well funded they're sort of annoyed at the winner. But what's interesting here um, is that certain continues to grow and seems to be, you know, becoming quite large in its, you know, its own matter without having had raises nearly as, 
as much capital and coming a bit later to the market. So how they've done it is students focused on different markets and built a product for different use cases. Checker was built to serve the US market and in particular was launched to serve the gig economy. Hey, if you're going to be riding an Uber, Uber need to quickly check if you had a you know driver's license, no police record, and you know, bare minimum to get you get you to be on on an Uber or Lyft. And, and so that that was Checker's entry into market. They started basically saying API, quickly check, gig workers are scaling quickly. Certain was built to serve more traditional customers, and it was built starting to serve customers in Canada and slowly expand across the world. So that meant Certain has built unique integrations with data sets that Checker doesn't have. They've built a product which is much more comprehensive because it's one thing to let a gig worker, which is sort of not technically your employee, to work for you. But if uh, you know Certain's doing the background check for much more key employees, they need to, you know, they're looking at domestic, international, criminal background checks, credit reports, education verica- verification, employee verification, and they're doing this all in minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So they're winning, or they feel that they're winning by providing the fastest, most comprehensive reports to meet the needs of customers in different regions. And, you know, it, I think they've built such a unique product that looks like Checkered was compelled to purchase certain closest competitor, good hire, to basically compete with them. Right. So certain has definitely found a way to grow, um, even up against a very well-funded competitor. Um, Why else are we talking about certain? Well, you know, they just raised 15 million USD, Series B, led by, uh, aptly enough, B Capital, uh, with participation from BMO Tribe, Inovia, and others. Uh, They're using this to to basically do continue to global expansion, build new distribution channels. They made sure to announce that the round was closed April 29th. So this is something in the current environment. You know, this wasn't closed six months ago, we're just announcing. So um, you know, a vote of confidence that their differentiated approach to market is paying off and has created a, a big market for themselves. And lastly, your takeaways for our community. So what is power checker and certain? I think there's a several trends that emerged that changed the way and the need for reference checks. One was the ability to access data became more open, the ability to use APIs, and you know the desire for quick responses. Uh, reference checks used to be give you know outsourced to third parties that did all the manual work. They'd call up and check with you know McGill University. Did Alex actually have a degree from there? Um, they check. They go do the police checks, and this could take weeks and was costly. Uh, enterprises want this affordably. They want it quickly. And the changes in technology allowed them to do this. So what certain has used is the data connectivity, AI, um, machine learning to be smart about how it does it. Uh, and so they took a problem that existed and has a solution out there and have found a way to solve it 10 times better. So you don't always have to invent a complete new category. You can look at how technology is changing an old category. Um, second, as we said, before certain start, Checker was already crowned the winner of the space. But when the industry is changing and it's large, uh, the natural thing for the, the leading established company or emerging established company is to focus on the, what they think is the largest opportunity. This usually leaves a lot of blue ocean space for you to can come and flank that competitor. And that's what I think Certain's done here. They've And, the, and those, uh, those flanks have proven to build a very valuable business. So just because someone says, oh, so-and-so owns a space, you might there might be opportunities that so-and-so can't can't basically tackle because yeah. there's more than enough opportunity and they're going to focus on their core product. Doesn't mean you can't come and do it better. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, that's perfect. Um, I think that's also a really great takeaway for anyone that's trying to maybe um, reinvent or further fill gaps in their space. Um, are you ready for lightning round? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so why don't we start with the news um, out of Wattpad, uh, Alan Lau stepping down. So maybe take us through the news and also why this is interesting for us. So, you know, Alan, uh, you know, he's basically one of the people that was part of the core reason that this Canadian ecosystem kicked off again and, and it's become what it was. He started uh, Wattpad in, I think it was 2006. He was the CEO. He took it from an idea to a $660 million exit, announced that he's stepping down as CEO of Wattpad. And I guess this is reason because interesting because he, Alan, like I said, is a part of a cohort of founders that built the Canadian ecosystem up in 2006. They were... Um, they took a different approach and they provided the sort of the, the space for, to build all the new unicorns. They built the credibility of sequels and they built the mindset. Um, and he's one of the last founders from that cohort to step down from a position. A lot of other ones have, have stepped down like Mike McDermott, fresh books. Um, so this is interesting to see who the next round of leaders will emerge. And we see some of them already um, like Andrew, Michelle, Clearbank, or sorry, Clearco, uh, Mike Murchison at Ada, um, and also, I don't think this is Alan's last act. I think he's going to be active. You know, he might start another company. You might, you know, I know he's helping out uh, Two Small Fish. So I think his next move will be watched very closely. And whatever it will be, will help contribute to growing this ecosystem. So I'm excited for him. I'm excited for our ecosystem. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, so on to some funding news. So Tailscales raise. What is the news there, and also yeah. why is this interesting? Toronto-based Tailscale rate announced a hundred million dollar USD raise uh, in a Series B, which was co-led by CRV and Insight Partners, with participation from Excel and Core Capital and a few others. They called it a you know themselves a Canadian unicorn as they've reached a billion Canadian valuation. Uh, so first of all, as I mentioned last week, this is a personal pet peeve: billion dollar Canadian valuation is not a unicorn. Like I'm sick of the unicorn term and like I think everyone else is, but like now it's trying to squeeze out of something that's like 25% less than, than it should be. Just drives me nuts. But more importantly, um, I think Tailscale is removing a security risk by uh, removing the overhead and complexity from the long tail connectivity problems in the enterprise. So like there's an attack vector which sort of like falls between different departments and Tailscale makes it easy just to resolve that. And I think if you go back five to 10 years, it'd be hard to, you know, cybersecurity companies and startups would be get to a billion, two billion valuation, and those would be considered winners. And I think 20, 30, 40 billion in cybersecurity becomes more and more important. And you're seeing every new attack vector spawns another massive opportunity. And so here's a Canadian company started in 2019 that's raised a lot of money because they're solving the latest and greatest attack vector and making it easy to solve. So uh, we'd love to say I'm a cybersecurity effort expert i'm not uh, but there's a lot of opportunity we don't give a lot of attention to this, the sector on tech to or generally in the Canadian ecosystem but there's a lot of great uh cybersecurity companies out there amazing thank you alex it definitely was a hot and busy week in canadian tech we actually um are coming off of our first summer social series event last night so thank you to everyone who attended um alex and i had a great time next week we have fintech to it returns in real life Alex, what are you looking forward to about that one on Wednesday at 1.11? Well, we, ha we have three great fireside chats, uh, including Stephanie from Tealbook, who had, you know, emerged 
from the pandemic as a company that was a winner. Um, so excited to hear how she navigated from being, you know, basically breaking out over the last two years. That, that in particular gets me excited. Yeah, and we have also Chandeep from Aya MasterCard, who was there last night um, doing a community announcement. He's also doing one of the fireside chats, which will be great. Great opportunity for you to just meet and mingle with um, innovators and leaders in the fintech space. Thank you, as always, Alex, for your takes on the week in Canadian tech. I really appreciate it. Um, as always, uh, we have lots of events coming up. Um, three more summer social events happening um, at Stacked Market. If you want tickets for those, techtio.org slash events. Um, pick up your tickets as well for FinTechTO happening next week on Wednesday at 1.11. Um, also, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching today's episode of Quick Takes, and we'll see you on the inside. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff, and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.